Could you stand with me while I read this for you? Again, James 1, beginning in verse 2. You know these verses. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, I think we should pray before we move forward. Let's do that. Father, our times are in your hands. Every aspect, every moment, beginning and end, joy and trial. And Father, we would give this brief time to you this morning. These minutes that we spend together considering from your word and yes, from my own experiences the purposes, the results, and even the blessings of trials and suffering. Be with us. May your spirit illumine our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, yes, please be seated. And I'm going to be seated. I uh, was on vacation last week and put out my back. And uh, so I can't stand very well. And so you'll have to forgive me for this. Well, here's the backstory on my cancer. Let's spend a little bit of time with that. Spring of 2015, I finally forced myself to go to the doctor for a checkup. I don't know how long it had been, but it had been too long. And that checkup, can I use this word in polite company, included a colonoscopy. <laughs> the procedure revealed that I had stage one colon cancer, very small, very early. It was dealt with surgically, and there was high hopes that that was the end of the story. But my oncologist warned me that there was a 10% chance that it might reappear. So fast forward three years to May of 2018 and a routine follow-up appointment with my oncologist. I'm going to have to see if I can reach down and grab that water. One of the side effects of my medications is dry mouth. That will work better next time. Thank you, Joyce. Spring 2018, one of my routine follow-up appointments with my oncologist. And after I was out the door, his, his nurse called me to come back. My blood work, something's wrong with my blood work. We want to do that again. And then they wanted to do it again. And over the next several weeks, I had that blood work several times. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell Joni. I didn't tell my kids. I didn't tell the church. Because I thought, well, this is going to amount to nothing. And why get everybody worked up over this? But then he said, well, I think we need to do a CT scan. And then I want to see you at the end of the week. And I knew that my wishful thinking had just been wishful thinking. 
And so he took that CT scan on Wednesday. Joni and I were in his office on Friday. He walked in and he started the conversation this way. We are about to have a difficult and life-changing conversation. And it was. My cancer was bad. Stage four colorectal cancer. It was in my colon. It was in some of my lymph nodes. It was in my liver. And it was in both lungs. Afterwards, trying to process all of this, Joni stopped by Panera's. We share a pastry. And then afterwards, before we both went our ways to go to work, Joni grabbed me in the parking lot. And she said, I want to grow old with you. So that was Friday. That weekend, I contacted all five of my young adult children. What a difficult conversation. I wanted to be honest, but I wanted to be hopeful. And then after that weekend, over the next week, I shared my diagnosis with my elderly parents, with our church leadership team, and then finally with our entire church family. And there, of course, was weeping, and there was praying in our church that morning. I started chemotherapy in September of 2018, so this month, it's been three years, I'm getting good care, I believe, at the University of Kansas Cancer Center, and it's gone fairly well. Most of my side effects have been manageable, and I'm also trying some alternative approaches. We're not afraid to do that. So things with my diet, things with supplements, off-label medications, vitamin C infusions, all the things you can read about on the internet in the alternate cancer treatment world. Why did you laugh? <laughs> but as I told, as told my oncologist more than once, Dr. Kazi, you specialize in chemotherapy. I specialize in prayer therapy. And so that's been the most important part of my response to my cancer. Well, I will say this, however, over the last several months through 2021, the cancer in both of my lungs has slowly asserted itself. And so that's where we are today. Which brings us to a question. And the question is why? Why? Why cancer? Why trials? Why suffering? And especially why? For God's children. I mean, don't we get a buy on this stuff? Well, it hasn't been my experience, and I doubt if it's been yours. So I would like to address that why question with a brief theology of suffering. First, by identifying the reason that suffering exists in our world, and then the purposes which suffering can serve. Can God use your trial? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He can. Well, there is a reason that suffering, suffering not only my cancer, but suffering of all kinds troubles humanity. And the big picture is found in the first few pages of your Bible, right? It's the fall. Genesis 2, followed by Genesis 3. Specifically, Death is still mankind's penalty for the disobedience of our first parents. 
Do you remember what God said to Adam in Genesis chapter 2? From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And that has spiritual, but it also has physical implications. Yet in chapter 3 and verse 6, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave it also to her husband with her, and he ate. And we've suffered God's just and holy punishment penalty for that transgression. That one transgression. They only had one rule to keep. And we've paid the penalty for that ever since. The fall teaches us. The fact of the fall teaches us that bad things like cancer happen. But more importantly, the fall teaches us why we need a Savior. Yet God in his wisdom and his power uses even the outcome of the fall in the life of his people to fulfill his good and eternal purposes in us. I often say, I think it's the title of this morning's message, never waste a perfectly good trial because God wants to use your trial for your good and the glory of his kingdom. So I want to give you seven benefits for you to look for when God allows you to suffer. And I'll go through these quickly. You know when a preacher makes that promise? <laughs> Just don't set your clock by it. Well, correction. The first benefit of suffering is correction, and that's not an easy benefit, but it's true. Think about the church at Corinth. Do you know about the church at Corinth? The church at Corinth was a divided, divisive, Difficult, troubled church. And soon those divisions spilled over onto the solemn observance of the Lord's table. And so through the Apostle Paul, the Lord corrected, well, excuse me, the Lord corrected them, and then through the Apostle Paul, explained to them why they were being corrected. God used illness and even death to bring the Corinthians back in line. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 30. For this reason, Paul writes, many among you are sick and a number sleep. And he's talking about death. And then in verse 33, he says, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Beloved, it's better to be disciplined by the Lord than to face the judgment that the lost will face in that great day. Now Paul addresses, and note this, Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 11 his readers with the assumption that though they are erring, they are true believers, though entrenched in pride and selfishness. And so, beloved, think about this. Could it be that your trial is God's chastening of sin in your life. He loves you enough to do that. But not only chastening, humbling. Suffering and its side effects correct 
pride and self-reliance. The Apostle Paul was one of the most influential men in history, but God used suffering and opposition. He writes about a thorn in the flesh. God used that to keep Paul in his place. 2 Corinthians 13 and 7, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. I like to say that chemo aged me about 10 years in my first year. And looking in the mirror scares me some days. I don't make fun of anybody anymore. It's humbling. Chastening, humbling, sanctification. Specifically, trials and suffering improve your faith. This is so important. Your trials are permitted in your life by your loving Heavenly Father because they will improve your faith. James 1, 2 and 3, we read it a moment ago. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The idea there in James 1 is that your suffering hardens, toughens your faith. And similarly, but not quite the same, in 1 Peter 1, the apostle writes, For in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, the testing of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The picture there is a refiner's picture. It's a picture of crude ore and crucible and hot fire and metallurgists. And the picture there is that your trials refine your, fi your faith and so your faith is so pure that Jesus can see his face in it. But you need something as hot as a trial to purify your faith. And so trials harden and they purify your faith. And they give direction. Your trials can give direction. You know, sometimes trials and setbacks clarify your path. A, a trial sometimes is kind of like that flustered GPS voice that says, turn around, turn around. We heard some of that this morning on the way to church. <laughs> Acts chapter 16, the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. Consider Paul's repeated frustrated travel plans. Phrygia, Galatia, Mysia, Bithynia, Troas. No opportunities, it would seem, to minister. It was frustrating until God, in his perfect time, despite those frustrations, opened the door, and for the first time, the gospel went to Europe. Trials. God can use your trials to clarify your path. Fifth benefit of trials. Eternal focus. Christian, I'm going to say that your flesh does not want to leave this life 
and enter the nest. Just not that anxious, is it? But suffering, and in particular, a suffering that moves you closer to that Psalm 23, verse 4, valley of the shadow of death, that suffering over time, if you will let it, will turn your heart towards heaven. Trials clarify eternal things, and it helps you to understand and to embrace, not just here, but here, that there is better than here. There is better than here. Dubs, is it okay for your church to say amen? Amen. I didn't want to get you in trouble. 2 Corinthians 5 and 8, we are of good courage, Paul writes, and I say, prefer rather to be absent from the body, we read this this morning, and at home with the Lord. Do you prefer that? That is a challenge. I'm going to be honest. That's a challenge. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is, amen, amen. Hebrews 13, verses 13 and 14, this is really all over the book of Hebrews. For let us go out to him, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city. Here we do not have a lasting city. But we are seeking the city which is to come. Amen. Suffering gives adoption comfort. You know, beloved, when a child of God gets out of line, our loving and wise Father reserves the right to bring him back by taking him out to the woodshed. Proverbs 3 and 12, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves as does a son, excuse me, as does a father, the son in whom he delights. Seventh, benefit of suffering confirmation confirmation let me explain that beloved when you experience a trial and by the grace of God you make faithful responses to your trial to your cancer to your loss but by God's grace you make faithful responses you have assurance you have evidence that your faith is real and strong and according to the word of God, you can expect it to get even stronger. I mean, how else could the Apostle Paul at the end of his life there on death row write with such confidence from prison facing martyrdom, 2 Timothy 4, for the time for my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have run the race. I did that backwards. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not just people like the apostle, but to all who have loved his appearing. Amen. I want to say this, and I want to say it humbly, but but it's given me great comfort. This benefit 
of suffering. The assurance that a faithful response can give you has become a huge comfort for me in the last three years. Because by God's grace, my responses to my cancer have assured me that my faith in Jesus is real. And my faith in Jesus is in way better health than the rest of me. So why cancer? We are fallen creatures. And we live in a fallen world. Creation groans. Our outer man decays. Yet momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory. thinking I got 35 minutes and I'm halfway through and I know I'm not going to make that so we're going to do a little cherry picking as we go through the rest of my notes whoops this is Doug's fault <laughs> he just told me to preach on well thank you but let's move up not far, but let's move a little. Let's move from theology to application. I, I want to share how I have lived with my cancer these last three years. With the reality that my cancer is a terminal cancer. With the effects of chemo, uh, chemotherapy in my life. Uh, trying to be a husband and a dad and a granddad. Trying to be, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Sorry about that. Just trying to stay faithful in ministry. Well, I have seven more things to share. Seven responses to my cancer. A and the first response I made right away, within days of my diagnosis, I examined myself. Paul has a verse in 2 Corinthians 13 where he calls the Corinthians to examine themselves and see if they are really of the faith. And it occurred to me that if this thing is going to kill me, I better be sure, even as a pastor, that I know where I'm going next. So the first thing I did, my first response to my cancer was to examine my faith to assure myself that I was set in bounds. Well, assurance comes. I'm just going to give you these three little brief things. Here's what I believe assurance comes from. And I encourage you to think about these things Drill down and expand on them yourself. Assurance comes, number one, from believing the right gospel. Obviously, you can go a lot of places. I like 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you as of first importance that which I also received. That Christ was crucified for our sins according to Scripture. And that he was buried. And that he uh, was raised 
on the third day, according to the scriptures. Actually, there's a fourth. And then he appeared to many eyewitnesses. So are you believing the right gospel? And are you believing in only the right gospel? Are you making the mistake of, mistake of pinning your hope not only on those things, but on something else as well? Don't do it. Gospel only. Your hope is Jesus only. Second thing, growing the right fruit. Believing the right gospel, growing the right fruit. Are you changed? Has Jesus changed you? Are you a new creation? Are you bearing that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. that the spirit within you bears that those without you can see it? And number three, hearing the right voice. The voice of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit telling you that you are indeed a child of the King? That's why Paul calls him the spirit of adoption. Beloved, I don't want to face eternity without assurance. I urge you, I urge you to follow my example and examine yourself to see that you do have the faith. Pray. I've been praying for three years to be healed, but regardless of what God does, I've been praying to be faithful. Jesus says you do not have because you do not ask. I take that to heart and I ask a lot. So I pray to be healed, but I also pray to be faithful. I pray to be faithful no matter what God's answer is to that prayer. Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You know, Jesus' Gethsemane prayer is the most fundamental prayer request in Christian experience. Not my will, but yours. So, beloved, if our almighty, all-powerful, all-wise God doesn't heal me, I want to stay faithful and finish well. I meditate on Scripture a lot. That's my third thing. God's Word promises to build faith, and it brings comfort, and it gives wisdom. I've memorized verses that focus on heaven. Psalm 23, John 14, 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, Philippians 1, 2 Timothy 4. I also memorize texts on trials and suffering. James 1, 1 Peter 1, 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, chapter 11. Huge comfort. Huge faith-building comfort. I work hard on shepherding my family and my church. A lot of shepherding effectively is communication. Joni has been so, so helpful. I communicate about my health. I communicate about my latest test. I communicate about what I'm doing in ministry. My kids need to hear that I'm still pressing on. And, and men, I want to say a word to men this morning. Just because something has brought you low, don't abdicate your responsibility 
as the head of your family. No trial gives you that excuse. Live in hope, but honesty. Confidence in God's power, but preparation. And I mean preparing my family and preparing my church that this might be the time of my departure. An important part of leading my family and of leading my church is to remind them that God is in control, that he is good, and that he is wise, and that he is ever mighty. Nothing about my health diminishes those truths. My cancer does not cancel God's goodness. And, and then again, while we are on this topic of faith, faithfulness with family and ministry, you are building your legacy. That's a huge topic to me. You are building your legacy. What will your family, what will your church, what will we remember about the ways that you lived your life and departed for the next? Point five. I bolded this one in my notes. Normal is good. When you are living with this terminal diagnosis every day and every week and every month, and you're trying to balance all of these things along with all the medical stuff, normal is good. Keep serving. Keep going. Try to maintain your lifestyle. And yeah, it won't be 100%. You won't be able to do it 100%. But try. Because normal is good for you, and watching you do normal is good for your family and your church. So resist self-pity, resist complaining, just try to do normal. A couple more things. As my chemo, my cancer has become a little more difficult, I've had to think about the relationship between my faith and my feelings. You know, I'm often tempted to believe that I'm spiritual only when I feel spiritual. Does that ever bother you? Yeah. The problem with that is that my chemo often leaves me emotionally flat. It's just a chemical reaction. It reduces my powers of concentration. So what happens then is I'm tempted to fear that I'm walking in the flesh today because I just ain't feeling it. That isn't faith. Beloved, that isn't faith. This past year, by the grace of God, I have learned better that if I am submitted to Jesus, I can just trust. Can I use the word assume? I can just assume that the Spirit is guiding me and He's going to use me. And I don't have to wait for some kind of special feeling. 
Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to, excuse me, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Just do it. Just do it. Acknowledge to God that you are submitted to him and don't limit, don't limit God's faithfulness to his word by your health and feelings. You see what he says, right? That was another amen moment. Well, over the last few years, I've preached through the New Testament letter to the Hebrews and have just recently come to the middle of the Gospel of John. And these two compelling New Testament works have spoken to me of the relationship between time and my accountability to God. God has fixed the span of your life. God has set the day of my departure. Hebrews 9 and 27. It is appointed unto man first to die and after death comes what? Judgment. That means that you have a set time in which to serve him. And the clock is ticking and daylight is fading. John 9, Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. Beloved, don't waste the daylight. You've got less time today than you had yesterday. Which suggests accountability. As a pastor... As a pastor who has a feeling that the time for my departure could be near, I have thought a lot about answering to Jesus for my ministry. How faithful have I been? Preaching the word, praying for my flock, comforting the hurting, confronting the straying, rescuing the perishing. Matt, have you thought about that? Amen, brother. Well, I've been especially challenged by texts like Hebrews 13 and 17 and 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, which we read this morning. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Beloved, this solemn declaration does not threaten your salvation, but I do believe it's got to have some truth in it and should be taken seriously. Our time is limited, and we will give an account. Well, you've been very patient. The time for my departure could be near. I want to be able to say with Paul that I have fought 
the good fight, that I have finished the course and I have kept the faith. And by grace, I will. Well, in conclusion, a pastor is a teacher. That's a pastor's, really, I think, his most important duty is to teach his flock. I mean, that's how God's flock is fed. And so as I began to sort out the implications of my cancer, it occurred to me that perhaps my last and most important teaching assignment would be to show my flock, my family, and my friends how to finish well. And so this morning, I hope my story has helped equip you to follow Jesus and to finish well. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray your blessing on every soul in this place this morning. And most importantly, and in particularly, I pray, Father, that you would bless each one with the assurance that through faith and repentance in Jesus, they have been made new. That heaven is theirs. And Father, I know, I, I know that I am not the only one in this place that is facing a trial. And it could be a health problem like mine. It, it could be a work or a relationship or a financial problem. It could be bereavement, the loss of somebody loved. Father, I ask that you would give strength and comfort and wisdom to each one. And you would help them to walk and then to finish well. In the name of Jesus, who is mighty to save and mighty to keep. Amen. Let's stand to our feet as we sing this closing hymn one more time. All the way, my Savior, leads me. All the way, my Savior, leads me. What have I to ask beside?